understand your risk tolerances. That'll help define where you should be looking and for what you should be analyzing. Take the time to learn these neighborhoods, learn this architecture, learn the idiosyncrasies before you actually go out and start looking at buildings. It'll help you understand the investment better. How great would it be to buy a piece of institutional quality income-producing commercial buildings? Well, now you can with Building Bits. It's not a REIT or a fund. Building Bits is a new platform for non-accredited investors where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building lease to a major corporation with a guaranteed long-term lease. You can now invest in the same quality assets, which have previously only been available to institutions and wealthy individuals. Once you choose your building on BuildingBits.com, you can invest as little as $500 and receive your share of the rents while BuildingBits team of real estate pros handles all the management aspects of the building. For the first time, the big corporations in America can actually start paying you. And when the building is sold in the future, the potential appreciation is redistributed to everyone so you don't just get the rental income, but also share in the upside. Best of all, since these securities are SEC qualified, they are freely tradable immediately. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants, so don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of their current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-I, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Lee Kaiser. How you doing, Lee? Good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Lee. He is a principal and managing broker of Kaiser Group before starting Kaiser Group. Lee was the top producing apartment broker in Chicago at his brokerage. He is a personal career transaction volume greater than $3 billion. That's with a B, billion dollars, based in Chicago, Illinois. With that being said, Lee, you want to get the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. Background was always entrepreneurial ventures. Found my way into commercial real estate brokerage in the late 90s. Decided to focus on multifamily, on apartment buildings, and was at that company for eight years, the last five of which my partner joined me, left a law career. I recruited her. Yes, it's my wife. And in 05, we started our own niche firm here in Chicago, commercial real estate brokerage exclusively focused on multifamily in greater Chicago land. And we are fortunate that we are the market leader in, in that niche in Chicago. So commercial real estate brokerage, exclusive focus on apartment buildings. What type of apartment buildings do you typically work with your clients on? Our current average, and we track it religiously, is 34 units and $3.2 million. That certainly goes up and down each quarter, but that's typically our strike zone. So our profile, therefore, Joe, is the private investor, landlord, owner. That's approximately 80% of the stock in greater Chicago land is privately owned. That said, that's our average deal size and our average profile client. We do six flats and we do 572-unit complexes. So anything that's privately, not institutionally owned, is a profile client we would target. What are some unique aspects of doing deals in Chicago, to the best of your knowledge, compared to other markets? 
I would say that there are three uniques, and because I'm not originally from Chicago, I'm from North Carolina. Okay. Moved here in 93. But there are three local idiosyncrasies that people looking to invest in Chicago need to know about. Quickly, those are Cook County property taxes. There, <laughs> there's an entire legal industry in Chicago for protesting property taxes. Entire firms solely dedicated to that practice. And the reason is that there's no math, there's no logic to the process. The assessor's office will arbitrarily assign every three years a new assessed valuation to the property. It's incumbent upon the property owner to go and contest that. And if you don't, your taxes go through the roof. So it's just a normal part of doing business here. You hire a protest attorney. They work on a percentage of the savings that they're able to negotiate on your behalf. The second idiosyncrasy is a local concept called attorney review. So if you're looking to buy an apartment property in Chicago, 95% of the time, local attorneys will default to a form contract, which everyone is familiar in Chicagoland. It's the Chicago Association of Realtors contract, which has an unusual provision for attorney review and modification of the contract itself as a contingency built into the deal. It runs simultaneously with other more standard orthodox contingencies like inspection contingencies and mortgage contingencies. But it was a concept I had difficulty wrapping my brain around in the beginning because if the attorneys are able to suggest modifications and then they have to agree on it, the local contract's really nothing more than a letter of intent. Right. And from people who or anywhere except Chicago. This is a foreign concept. So to, so, to get into the so local me, culture, me, you kind of need to be prepared well, for that. Well, just so I'm understanding what you're saying, if I enter into a contract with you, I'm buying a property from you, and we use a typical contract that is used in Chicago, then that will say that if after we sign the contract, if there is something that your attorney wants to add or remove, then my attorney must agree to that. Otherwise, the contract is void? Voidable, yes. Now, there are specific things they cannot change, and those are spelled out in the attorney review provision, such as price, dates, etc. But all other terms and conditions are open to modification. Now, those who are fully indoctrinated into this process and are credible here within our local culture, don't abuse this, and it's a normal part of doing business, and the attorneys just have to agree on, they, <laughs> our, our clients like to call the attorneys will handle the legal matters. But yeah, for people not accustomed to this, it's a very confusing and frustrating process. So it's, again, one of three things you need to be aware of that are local Chicago idiosyncrasies. The third one is the Chicago Residential Landlord Tenant Ordinance. So it is a very tenant-friendly ordinance, and there are a few gotchas in it that can get landlords in a lot of trouble. So I would say if you're new to Chicago and new at investing, make sure you have a good landlord representation attorney coaching you or hire a local reputable third-party management firm through whom you can learn the ropes as you're learning to navigate the CRLTO. What are some things that might surprise listeners who aren't 
familiar with the landlord-tenant ordinance? Well, we were able to get the major one changed. i give you an example. Up until about the last two years before Kaiser Group was able to effectuate that change, it was um, security deposit interest requirements, meaning, of course, security deposits have to be kept in a segregated account, but then there are very specific calculations of interest, payments of which must be made to the tenant quarterly, and the rates change, and the calculations are difficult, and they must be paid on a quarterly basis as per the anniversary of the commencement of their lease. you got somebody that's got 3,000 units and staggered starts. You can see the complexities of just tracking this, but the problem with the ordinance was any violation of it was strict liability of three times the rent that the tenant is paying. There's no argument. There's no defense. There's no nothing. It was strict liability. So attorneys saw an opportunity to effectuate class action suits because somebody owns 3,000 units. They know that they've made one violation unintentionally on one tenant, and they'll send out mailers to all 3,000 tenants and start a class action. The landlord was faced with no alternative other than to figure out how to settle the suit. Mm. We were able to effectuate a change in the CRLTO that gives landlords a limited right to cure the mistake, which is inclusive of a payment directly to that tenant and then the ability to correct the mistake in the security deposit interest. But prior to making this change, Joe, there were seven-figure settlement awards for less than $5 of a mistake in security interest. How is it less than $5 mistake if it was just three times? Wouldn't it be $15? No, the actual infraction, the strict liability was three times the tenant's rent. So you might be holding a $500 deposit on a $1,500 apartment, and you make a $3 mistake on security deposit interest. You owe the tenant $4,500. Now, multiply that with a class action suit times 3,000 units. It's disgusting. And you begin to see the exposure for the landlords. Yeah, but that's changed, thankfully. That's just a... That's yes, but there are other issues with the CRLTO that as long as you're aware of them and you have someone coaching you, you'll adhere to the ordinance and you'll keep your nose clean of problems. A lot of people, though weren't aware of this ordinance and they bought buildings in Chicago and they took security deposits and they learned the hard way. Just real quick, what's a current issue that is still in play? Most of the issues now have become much more reasonable. So I would say there's nothing in there that could be a major economic impact for a landlord. That said, the security deposit interest is another example of one that's still there. You just have a limited right to cure. So instead of costing you millions of dollars, it might end up costing you $5,000 for a violation of the security deposit interest regulations. But you need to know that if you're going to own buildings in Chicago, that's why you do not take security deposits. You just don't even want to open yourself up to the potential. Let's talk about your average size, 34 units, $3.2 million. Describe that typical property, will you? Just how old is it and what's the business plan that most owners have, that sort of thing? Sure. It's a 1924 construction courtyard building, which is a three-story walk-up type property. That 
property within Chicagoland can range anywhere from $25,000 per unit to $350,000 per unit, depending on the neighborhood, the location, and the rent. But that is the stereotypical property that we will be dealing with. Twenty-five k per unit to three fifty k per unit, depending on the area. What area of Chicago would be twenty-five k, and what area of Chicago would be three hundred and fifty? Englewood, Roseland, Auburn, Gresham. These are the areas where that'll be twenty-five thousand dollars a unit. These are lower income areas. All the stories you hear about Chicago with violence most emanate from these areas. And there's a high concentration of multifamily properties. We work in all those neighborhoods, but typically that's where you'll see the lower end of that spectrum of price per unit I described. The other end of the spectrum is primo locations like Lincoln Park, Gold Coast, Old Town. These are places where the same physical property will trade at the higher end of that spectrum per unit. Most typically in Chicago, you'll see that 1924 courtyard trading at about the price per unit as I described as our average. So something approximately 100000 a unit. Again, that's an average across sure. all Chicago neighborhoods. Typical working class solid neighborhoods where you've got working class tenants and good transportation, you'll see that building trading 125 to 140 grand a door. And then what's the typical business plan? Typical business plan, it depends. So many times these are, are bought for value-add plays, and those are a three- to five-year hold. What we see more commonly, though, is the very long-term investor, so sometimes generational. So a lot of these properties will stay in the same family for years. They're working buildings. They're cash flow buildings. There's a declining profile that matches that relative to a lot of the new capital coming into Chicago. Because of Chicago's more attractive cap rates relative to other major U.S. cities, mm-hmm. we're seeing money come in not only from those areas, but also internationally. We are currently doing, we have clients and closing bills with, we track this and the number's not in my head, Joe, but I think we're currently active in 18 different countries with investors buying apartment buildings in Chicago. When you get a call from someone who's out of the country, what are some questions you ask him or her to qualify them to ensure that it's a good use of your time if you continue to work with them? What their experience in multifamily is in the U.S., how well capitalized they are, what relationships they have with local, not just U.S., but perhaps Chicago local lenders and attorneys, and then why they're interested in Chicago. We want to figure out how much they know about our local market, how much they know about the different areas of Chicago, and all of these are usually answered relatively early in the interaction. Mm -hmm. Maybe not on the first call, but certainly by the first meeting. And are those similar questions for someone located in the U.S., just tweaking them a little bit to... Yeah, very similar. Because Chicago is such a local-type atmosphere, and I named the three main idiosyncrasies, but there are certainly others, it's helpful to spend the time with an investor looking to get into this market to educate them on some of the local practices, some of the local cap rates, what that means, 
and try to match it with their expectations so that they're not wasting their time or yours. What are the types of terms that are winning deals but not completely aggressive right now? Um, ask me that again. I want to make sure I understand yeah, your question. So like if you show me a deal and it's a 34-unit deal and you say, hey, I'll probably trade around $3.2 million, and I'll say, okay, great, and I'll take a look at it. And I know about what the price is, but I don't know what type of terms I should offer that are typical for your market, like refundable or non-refundable earnest money, closing dates, that sort of thing. What type of terms are you seeing? Got it. To be attractive to the seller of a property, if you want to make an offer, exclusive of price, terms that will be most important are, number one, a very quick attorney review. In my <laughs> If, if you're using a standard contract and you're subject to that contingency, then make it quick. Three days. Okay. Calendar days um, or business days? Business days. And make sure you have a good local counsel who's credible, who will be known by the seller's attorney. That will be very helpful. If you want to be competitive, your offer should not be subject to financing. That's why having a lending relationship and knowing with a degree of confidence what you'll be able to procure for a certain acquisition. It's important to have that, to have the confidence to be able to submit the offer without a financing contingency. The rest is how comfortable you are with learning and understanding the physical structure and reviewing the books and records. All that's lumped into what we locally call inspection contingency. Mm -hmm. So the more quickly you're able to move through that on a 34 unit, an acceptable time frame would be somewhere between seven and 10 calendar days. Okay. Got it. And then what about earnest money, hard day one, or do you not see that in your area? We don't typically see that here. The only time you usually see any amount of earnest money non-refundable on day one, it's when it's a very unique property and highly active in terms of number of offers. Mm-hmm. Most typically, you'll see initial earnest money posted with the contract, all of which is refundable. And an increase to that earnest money once all contingencies are waived. So in the situation I described earlier where you don't have a financing contingency, where there's a short attorney review and an inspection is done in 7 to 10 calendar days, at the conclusion of that inspection, the earnest money increase is triggered and that becomes non-refundable to the buyer, except in the event of a seller default. So on a $3.4 million deal, we would probably want to see a minimum of 1% hard. More typically, we'd see approximately $100,000 non-refundable on a $3.4 million deal, so approximately 3%. Okay. And then once that 7 to 10 calendar days expires, what amount is typically there for the additional money that's put up? What I described was the additional money. So on a $3.4 million deal, $100,000 non-refundable at the end of the contingency periods Got it. would be very market. Got it. Okay. Based on your experience in the real estate industry and as a managing broker and an apartment broker of over $3 billion worth of transactions, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors? I guess know your risk tolerances. And what I mean by that, especially in Chicago, your cash on cash returns are really going to be relative to 
the amount of risk associated with the property. That really speaks true as a general statement for apartment investing. Mm -hmm. But in Chicago, it's really important. Very low risk, which means great location, no deferred maintenance in the building. You're going to be low single-digit cash-on-cash returns, 3 4 5% cash-on-cash returns. If you're looking for a, a high risk, high return area, and these are heavily management intense, challenged neighborhoods, some of the ones we discussed on the beginning when I was talking about the $25,000, $30,000 unit range, you can see cash on cash returns 20% plus, sometimes up to 50%, but it's heavy risk. Typically, the $100,000 to $140,000 unit courtyard that we were talking about in a good, solid, working-class neighborhood, that's going to be a mid-level risk. You're going to be looking at approximately 10% cash-on-cash returns. I would say that the main advice I would give to someone coming in is understand your risk tolerances. That'll help define where you should be looking and for what you should be analyzing. Take the time to learn Chicago, learn these neighborhoods, learn this architecture, learn the idiosyncrasies before you actually go out and start looking at buildings. It will narrow your search. It'll help you understand the investment better. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? <laughs> lightning round? Sure. Lightning round. All right, cool. It'll be fun. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Wouldn't it be nice to buy a piece of institutional quality, income-producing commercial real estate buildings for as little as $500? Now you can with Building Bits. Building Bits is a new platform where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building leased to a major corporation with a guaranteed long-term lease. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available only for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants, so don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of the current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-Y, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting-edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com. Okay, best ever book you've recently read? Oh, not a single book. The Sharp Series by Bernard Cornwell. What's a best ever deal or transaction you've been a part of? The best deal is, to me, the most challenging and complex that they needed someone with our expertise to pull off. That would have been Sheridan Plaza in Chicago. We did that deal about 10 years ago. It was an affordable deal. So we had HUD, the Illinois Housing Development Authority, extended use agreements. The alderman was involved in the buyer and the seller. And each of these had attorneys. I'll never forget the conference call where I am not exaggerating, I had 12 attorneys on the conference call, <laughs> each representing their different clients, and we got that deal closed. That was a fun deal. Oh, it's interesting that you call that a fun deal. 12 attorneys representing 12, 12 clients. Oh, well, there were about five or six different entities represented by those 12 attorneys. Oh, man. <laughs> no, no, thank you. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? As a principal, I don't invest where I am a broker, but I've invested in other things outside what Kaiser Group represents. There was a development deal in North Carolina I got involved in at the very wrong time. It was right before the crash, and there was nothing that we could have done 
to salvage that. So that was probably the biggest mistake I made in real estate. As a broker, the biggest mistake that I have made, frankly, is projecting too much upside in a property, which led me to incorrectly value it. So we put it on the market and we simply weren't able to get people interested in making offers. That happens rarely, but occasionally where you look, underwriting and and valuing a property is an art. It's not a science. And we're 97, 98% effective in it. But there's always that one that is just a mistake. And you just have to tell the client, hey, here's why I thought what I thought. And here's why we made the mistake. We can adjust or we can just agree to part ways now. Best of way you like to give back to the community. To the real estate community, I give back through mentoring. I'm a mentor both through DePaul University's real estate program as well as the Eisenberg Foundation, and I'm mentoring college students constantly. Personally, my favorite charity is NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They have a big event, an awareness walk once a year. My hobby is music. My band plays for that event gratis, and it's a wonderful organization, a wonderful cause. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and get in touch with you or your company? More about what we're doing through our website, kaisergroup.com. That's Kaiser with no A, K-I-S-E-R. Through there, you'll also see all of our blogs, all of our Forbes articles, all of the stuff in the news. You can learn all about Chicago apartments. And we're, of course, easily found and accessible through that website. I love learning about the idiosyncrasies of investing and making offers in Chicago. Three things you mentioned, Cook County property taxes, no rhyme or reason for how they come up with their tax increases. So having a legal counsel to help you through that process, the attorney review contingency, as well as the Chicago landlord tenant ordinance. You gave the extreme example that thankfully has since been updated, but still things to keep in mind prior to investing in that market, as well as the type of terms that are typical for a deal, what's competitive when you make an offer in Chicago, and then what would set you apart from the rest. So thank you, Lee, for being on the show. Hope you have a best every day. Really enjoyed our conversation, and we'll talk to you again soon. Truly been my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com.